When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, everyone. I'm Dr. John White, WebMD's Chief Medical Officer and host of the Spotlight On series from WebMD's Health Discovered podcast. For this special two-part episode, you'll hear up-close and personal journeys about being diagnosed with a rare type of cancer, multiple myeloma. I started in myeloma nearly 25 years ago. And at that time, the average expectation of life in someone with myeloma was maybe one to two years. But even just in this last 10 to 12 years, we have doubled, if not tripled, the average survival of patients. I saw a new patient this week, and we had this conversation that based on what we've done over the last decade, my expectation is that patient's going to live more than 10 years. Listen to Health Discovered on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. What is going on, Belly Up Sports fam? Mr. Shaka Cummings, Mr. Parker Ainsworth, welcome to FN Sports, the podcast for two teachers, great sports, biggest issues, and apparently live in Groundhog's Day, because something happened the first time we tried to record this, so we are recording it again! So you guys are going to get, hopefully, yeah, hopefully a better version. I don't even know. Um, we're so <laughs> awesome. I don't know that we can get much better. Um, Mr. Ainsworth, um, I, I, since I don't remember how I even started the last segment, I want to go ahead and uh, jump in with Gold Stars and Detentions. And I wanted to ask a genuine question. Doc Rivers, Austin Rivers. Have you heard about this situation, Mr. Ainsworth? <laughs> yes, I've heard okay. about this situation. Yeah, I know you have because we did the segment already. Um, <laughs> but... For those of you guys who have not heard about Doc Rivers in Austin, Doc Rivers came out this weekend and said that he discouraged his son from signing with the Philadelphia 76ers. For those of you guys who are basketball fans, you may be aware that Doc Rivers is the head coach of the Philadelphia 76ers. Doc Rivers is the father of Austin Rivers. So he discouraged his son from coming and signing and playing with his team. And what Doc said was, if Austin plays on the same team that I coach, he's always going to be a target. He's going to be a target for other players. He's going to be a target for fans. He's going to be a target for media if things don't go well. And so he said that he wanted Austin to go to a different situation because in this situation, he just didn't want him to be a target the way that maybe he was in L.A. And so he encouraged Austin to sign with another team. Austin River signs with the Knicks. Maybe it ends up being a good situation. But my question for you, Mr. Ainsworth, is this a gold star to Doc Rivers for giving his son great advice? Or is this a detention for Austin Rivers? for It's a report card on his skill, no? I... 
I don't know. I feel like part of it comes down to that Austin Rivers won't start for the Philadelphia 76ers, just like he didn't start for the LA Clippers for a while there at the end. And and I feel like the deal there is that that means that Doc knows he'll get some flack for it. When the truth is, is, you know, like Austin Rivers got cut by the Clippers, didn't get picked back up. He went and played in Washington, was a backup while got cut by them. He got picked up by Houston in a desperation move around Christmas a year and a half ago. I guess this point's almost two years ago. And he, like, ended up working out pretty well as a bench rotation guy that kind of ran the second unit at times. And that's fine. I think what Doc is really trying to say is that he might not even have that kind of role in Philadelphia. And you're only going to open up yourself to more scrutiny and coming to do that. And that's pretty blunt honesty. And I don't know if that's a goal (laughs) to hoard attention. Well, I mean, like, would you want your dad to be the one to tell you that? Like, that's, (laughs) I guess that's how I think about it. I'm like, if my dad basically came to me and said, hey, listen... You might not be good enough to be in the bench rotation on my team. I don't know. I think I'd feel away. I, uh, let me just say, uh, Dale Curry's not telling Steph Curry that. You know what I mean? Right. So, like, if you right. were good enough, it almost feels like Doc is basically telling this kid he's not good enough. Austin Rivers are going to be a part of their key rotation. He would not be discouraging him from coming in. That's not. That would not be happening. So, in my mind, I'm thinking that I'm leaning to tension on Austin Rivers' talent versus a gold star for Doc Rivers' <laughs> honesty. I will tell you, though, a genuine gold star, one that I don't have any questions about, Fayetteville High School. Fayetteville High School won the single-A state championship in the state of North Carolina. And it was one of these things that came down to the last play of the game. They were on defense. The team that they're playing against throws the ball up in the end zone. They make a play on it. Fayetteville wins the state championship. So, of course, all those kids who lose the state championship are despondent. They're down. They're on the ground, heads down, crying. The Fayetteville High School players wouldn't go celebrate with their teammates until they went and checked on those guys who had their heads down. And I thought that that was just incredible. I mean, literally, you'll see pictures of them picking uh, guys up, patting them on the back, giving them a hug, telling them to keep your head up. Coaches came out and was congratulating the other team. And then after all that, they went and celebrated with their team. And I just felt like that was a great example of sportsmanship. And sports have this great opportunity to teach these lessons around empathy, around just kindness in general. And I really love how that played out in that state championship game with those high school kids. Incredible. Shout out to Fayetteville High School in North Carolina. Mr. Ainsworth. Do you have a gold star for us? I do have a gold star. So my first gold star is going to go to Russell Westbrook. Uh, Russell Westbrook's a guy that many Houston fans did not like before he came to Houston. Some did not like <laughs> while he was in Houston. And there are probably some that don't like him now that he's gone from Houston. Definitely. Um, I, I got to say, though, that the most I am, you always hear about how great a person Russell Westbrook is and all the off-the-floor stuff he does and how many guys love playing with him. He, you know, is got a bad rap for running guys like Durant and Paul George and stuff out of town and and stuff like that, but in Carmelo and so on. But he really, in watching him in Houston the past year more closely and hearing about through Houston Sports Twitter, the types of uh, endeavors he's involved in off the floor, he really is a and continues to be a standout person. And I just, you know, want to thank him for bringing that to Houston. He was involved in all kinds of charitable acts, both in person and then once COVID hit with his wallet. Um, he was out leading protests and things like that in LA, where he's from. And he he really is a genuinely good person, even if he's a 32-year-old with some flaws in his basketball game and so on. And I just want to say thanks for bringing that to Houston for a year. 
best of luck in Washington. You know, Washington and Houston don't play each other a whole lot. They're in opposite conferences and stuff like that. So, <laughs> you, you know, go do your thing and, and do well. Like, I, what, what's the worst that happens if he does, goes out and does well in Washington? So, hats he, off. Thanks the for the The worst thing here. that could happen is that he wins a championship with the Wizards and the Rockets still don't have one. You got to stop. <laughs> you got to stop wishing for Oh, what's the worst that could happen? Um, well, that's that's not going to happen. But okay, keep going. <laughs> okay, okay, let's hope. Um, yeah, speaking of um, let's hope this doesn't happen, my friggin' Jets are winning a game against the Raiders, which is like, come on, don't, uh, don't ruin this Trevor Lawrence pick. Um, let's, <laughs> let's, um, let's jump into one more gold star, which is a shared gold star since we're talking football. Alabama's offense. Now, I wanted to gold star the entire offense for Alabama, but I know that based on Twitter, you are all over Devontae Smith and the game that he had yesterday. I mean, the first half, just the first half stats are incredible, but shout out to Devontae Mac Jones, Najee Harris, these guys are incredible. Like, all of them together basically just decimated the defending champs in LSU. Mac Jones is throwing for four touchdowns in the first half. Najee Harris rushes for over 100 yards. And then there's Devontae Smith, who was a man amongst boys. And that's without his partner in crime, Jay Lawaddle, who's hurt and who's going to be out for the entire season. Uh, Mr. Ainsworth, yeah. I know you were all over well, Devontae. Well, and obviously I'm a Jalen Waddell guy because I enjoyed uh, seeing him do what he did to us, to other teams, frankly, um, uh, having coached against him. But I, I also think that, uh, you know, Devontae Smith gets an extra shout out for me because, you know, eight catches, 230, and three touchdowns is pretty big time. For I was tweeting the photo out in response of when Randy Moss to you know, did three catches for 160 and three touchdowns against the Dallas Cowboys at his own little pro coming out. I mean, once they coming out party, we all knew who he was at that point. (laughs) You know, those are the kind of numbers we're talking about. This is a video game. He's having a video game type of year. The week before against Auburn and the Iron Bowl, he had seven catches for 171 and two touchdowns. I mean, he is, he is that dude. And I continue to, you know, enjoy watching him play. I also think it's funny that he is that dude and they have a bunch of skill guys, and you think that that is somehow not a sign of Mac Jones's greatness, but a year ago with all those pros <laughs> on the LSU offense, you really thought that was a sign of Joe Burrow's. It's different. Joe Burrow was really the glue that brought all of that together at LSU. I honestly think that you could take another quarterback and put him in, and they'll be doing the same thing that Mac Jones is doing. You know that uh, Talia Tagovailoa, who's over at Maryland, he was on uh, Alabama's roster. I could plug in Talia. I think that they'd still be undefeated. Maybe that's a that's that's a thesis statement for another time. We could talk about Joe we'll Burrow versus for, Mac Jones. We'll say that for Heisman Week. <laughs> no, absolutely. Um, we do have to start talking about Devontae Smith for the Heisman, though. But let's jump into uh, detentions. My detention, my first detention, just goes to COVID-19. And specifically, Carl Anthony Towns comes out and shares with us. Uh, they're doing all the media stuff now because... NBA teams are in training camps. The season kicks off December 22nd. That's only a couple of weeks away at this point. Carl Anthony Towns shares with us through his uh, media day in Minnesota. He's had seven different members of his family die from COVID. That includes his mother. And we have all been negatively impacted by COVID in different ways, whether we've been afflicted with it, whether we know someone's been afflicted with it, whether it's just simply the fact that we now have to quarantine and our whole way of life that we were used to has been kind of tossed upside down. Uh, but to hear that from Carl Anthony Towns, literally my heart just broke for him. It broke for his entire family. I will definitely be saying an extra prayer for Carl Anthony Towns and for his family uh, this week. Uh, my condolences. That is that is just heartbreaking. Mr. Ainsworth, I hope that you have a detention that's maybe a little less serious than that one. <laughs> it's a little less serious. I, I will say, though, it is COVID-related. I mean, it, 
It, <laughs> it's hard to be as serious as what you're talking about, but it's somewhat COVID-related, and my attention is going to go to James Harden. And people who listen to this podcast, <laughs> follow us on Twitter, whatever, know that I am one of his staunch defenders in many ways. I think that the idea that he's not fun to watch in basketball is kind of overblown and crazy. And it's funny to me that you can watch like and one mixtapes for hours and hours and hours and those kind of one-on-one ball is life videos, but not enjoy watching James Harden play. I think that's just because you don't want to like him. But I will say what I'm detentioning James Harden for is not involving playing basketball. And I almost wanted to detention Mark Stein and a couple of different reporters that were trying to jump out in the front of this story, but like Harden's not showing up to training camp, Harden's not showing up to training camp. And I just want people to know how crazy it would be for you to detention Mark Stein. Like, you in particular, to (laughs) detention Mark Stein would be nuts. That only lets folks know how uh, irritated you are with that reporting. Well, I just think it's this big jump to, like, go out and make it this other thing. You know, reports are he and John Wall are friends, and reports are that... You know, he's Houston's not going to move him unless they get this giant package back, and doesn't look like anyone's going to offer that giant pack or it hadn't been offered yet, or else he might be gone at this point, right? Um, but my attention goes to James Harden because he it's not that like he was in Houston working out hard at the U of H and doing all the COVID pro the COVID nineteen protocols and so on, and then he goes out and has a giant fun time at little baby's birthday bash and <laughs> it's a really funny video in non-covid times where he hands in this like nice prada bag of money and honey buns and like oh these two guys have a good time <laughs> and then there's another video circulating like literally since our first re- attempt at recording this of him out at a nightclub more recently and oh that's uh, that's awesome you know get to be at a nightclub except that in covid that means that he's not allowed in the facility for a little while now and so there's like these reports like he has to get the negative test back or whatever and so it he's sitting here waiting on his negative test to get back to get back to practice. But I I will say it's interesting to me that all these guys jumping the oh look he's not showing up, look he's not showing up and clearly James Harden has demonstrated time and time again, as much as I enjoy watching him play basketball, he's going to go have a fun time at night. And so, like, <laughs> I think that I think that that's something that's never, I mean, you know, the Orlando bubble might have been good for him from that standpoint, but I, I don't know how he needs to start doing that. He needs to cut that out because he needs to get ready to get back and play. Because even if he does really, really, really in the heart of hearts wants to get traded, you need to be actively playing. You, you get traded on the COVID-19 protocol, you're not going to go play for them either. you got to go sit on the bench <laughs> and watch him play. So J- James Harden is so good that he doesn't need to be actively playing i think that people will still probably want him on the <laughs> roster like i don't know that that's gonna be a problem for him <laughs> uh <laughs> i just love the fact that he's in atlanta um so i had a whole chicken wing joke in our first attempt <laughs> to do this so um if you guys don't remember the chicken wing story you can check out our catalog of podcasts uh my next attention goes to rose gold of who i believe that she's with espn now but once upon a time she was a sideline reporter for tnt and uh, she came out on Twitter this weekend, and she is now one of these people who I don't understand, these people who are pro-pineapple on pizza. Let me just say, if you are pro-pineapple on pizza, I can't mess with you. Like, I, we we can't be cool, because pineapple on pizza is inconceivable to me. You are a special type of animal, and I don't even understand you as a human being. Pineapple on pizza people are what's wrong with America. That's, <laughs> that's my belief. Now, Mr. Ainsworth, I don't know. I didn't ask you before I went on my little pineapple on pizza rant. I hope that you are not a pineapple on pizza person, sir. <laughs> I'm not personally a pineapple on pizza person. I do think it's funny, though, that... So I open up class each day instead of calling roll and being like, here, here, here. I ask a question like, is a hot dog a sandwich? Or is a Pop-Tart ravioli? Or do you have pineapple on pizza? <laughs> and it's a yes or no, this or that type of question. And the amount of vitriol even kids in like 5th and 7th grade will have about pineapple on pizza is hilarious. Because they're smart. They're smart children. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Ainsworth, do you have another detention for us, sir? Yeah. So my detention is going to go to ESPN. For those of you that, you know, 
follow us on Belly Up or that read the stuff we write, you're probably not that surprised to hear me detention ESPN for getting rid of the Dan Levitard show. Dan Levitard has had 15 or so years with run with ESPN. He has the top downloaded ESPN podcast. It's frequently the top sports downloaded podcast across all mediums. And it, it's a daily radio show they syndicate into a podcast and then also do a bunch of stuff on the side with it as well. It's a really, really great show and it's like sports adjacent in so many ways. It's funny, it's entertaining, it's goofy, it's silly. They talk about all kinds of topics around the world of sports. And it's just the latest move ESPN is making in dropping this idea of entertainment from an entertainment sports programming network. And I know that you're going to go back and forth with what the letters stand for, but that's <laughs> it's dropping this idea of what it had. It had like Sports Center of the Six, and they dropped Jamel's Hill and Michael Smith. It had High Noon. They dropped Pablo Torre and Bomani Jones's show. I mean, Bomani still wasn't supposed to the network, and Torre has his own podcast, but like that show in itself is gone, and the topics it talked about are gone, right? It had topics like, like they dropped the Golics, right? Like, or they dropped Mike Golick Sr., I guess you should say, and it continued to drop these ideas of like things that made ESPN ESPN. Obviously, it's, you know, it was V Week last week, and that takes us all thinking about Stuart Scott. These are things that the late, great Stuart Scott would have been involved in himself. He was fun. He was entertaining. He had pop culture references. He he was involved in things outside of sports and sports adjacent that made his sports center coverage that much more fun. And that's the kind of ESPN we all grew up loving. And it's continued to drop these things for you no know, serious shots in New York, but a bunch of like New York Jets guys like Keyshawn Johnson and Mike Greenberg talk about <laughs> stats all day. And it's like, come on, man. Like the Jets aren't even any good. Why are we going to talk about Jets talk all day? I don't, I don't need that every day. I didn't need uh, the Jets like dig twice. Like now I've gotten it twice. <laughs> I didn't need that. <laughs> but it's just, that's, we can all watch games and do stats. Let's have fun with the other stuff too. And so I just, I'm not sure that I like where ESPN's going with this. I don't think that it's, they're go- I don't think they're going to the place that's made them successful for this long because we can all find places to get sports and stats, right? No, that's I, not that's <laughs> not the fun stuff. I just hope that you like where we're going with this because we're going to be talking about uh, Ohio State <laughs> football on this podcast and whether or not they deserve to be in the playoffs. We're going to be talking about the trade, like who won? Did the Rockets win? Did the Wizards win? Uh, Russ going to D.C., Wall going to Houston. And then we're going to uh, talk about the Pittsburgh Steelers and whether or not they should even be the favorites in the AFC. Considering that they're undefeated, they maybe they should be, but uh, I, I don't. they're not in my mind. But we'll, I, I don't want to give it away too much. Uh, without further ado, Mr. Ainsworth, are you ready to go, sir? Ready when you are, Shaka. All right, Mr. Cummings, our first thesis of the day is back in the college football playoff. It feels like we talk about some aspect of this every week. (laughs) But the thesis today centers on the Ohio State Buckeyes. It reads, Ohio State should not be in the college football playoff. How do you grade that one? Like, as we sit today, that's an A. Now, that could be, that could change over time. But as we sit today, I'm going to give it an A. What do you say, Mr. Ainsworth? So, with allowing for flexibility, I was thinking more like a C. I wonder if we're more on the same page than those grades indicate. But I was thinking C because things can change. All right, Mr. Cummings, you gave this thesis an A. Uh, you did allow for some space if things change, but you said as of right now, you give it an A. Talk to us about what makes you think it's an A thesis at this point. So for me, I look at Ohio State and I look at their body of work. And it doesn't impress me enough to say that they're definitively one of the four best teams. I understand that the committee is literally, and I, we had this conversation a couple of weeks ago, Mr. H. Whether or not it would be a 
people in a room or people on a Zoom. It turns out that it really is people in a room, which feels so un-2020. But anyway, <laughs> it really is just people in a room, and they're just looking at teams and saying, hey, who are the four best? Now, I watch Ohio State play, and I don't think that they are clearly better than other teams that I've watched play. Now, up until yesterday, I would have questioned whether or not BYU deserved it, right? And I still think that BYU is a great team. I actually think that Coastal Carolina is probably a lot better than I was willing to give them credit for. I look at Cincinnati, and I say Cincinnati looks like a great team. And I look at Ohio State, and it's not like they aren't a great team, so that's part of the deal. And maybe, even in my mind, like I have to guard against measuring them against Ohio State teams of the past. Do you know what I mean? Like I want them to be as great as every Ohio State team that's ever been great, and maybe they're not that. And I still am not sure that they're one of the four best teams. Like, I honestly think that Ohio State loses to Florida on a neutral field. But Florida has a loss. So now, how do I factor in the fact that Ohio State doesn't have one and Florida does have one? The number of games that they've played doesn't help. Like, their sample is part of the issue. Because, like, how am I supposed to rate that game yesterday? Like, okay, you beat Michigan State. Congratulations. So did Rutgers. You know what I mean? Yeah, <laughs> like, I how, 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 how am I supposed to, like, so when I look at A&M, I look at Florida. I look at Cincinnati. Heck, I want to look at Coastal Carolina now. I'm just supposed to say Ohio State's definitively better than those teams because in the preseason we thought they would be better. Like, shouldn't it matter what they're actually doing this season and the fact that the Big Ten isn't very good? And I don't know. So when I look at Ohio State, I have a lot of questions. I I question Justin Fields, and he looks less accurate than he was last season. He doesn't look like as good a passer as he did last season, which is weird because Chris Olave is an incredible receiver. But if you look at the game yesterday where they beat Michigan State 52 to, what is it, 52 to 14 or 52 to 12 or something crazy like that, they crushed Michigan State. He throws for 199 yards, and I want to say like 130 of them are to Olave. So I'm supposed to be impressed by that. That tells me that Olave is great more than it tells me that Fields is, which is a weird deal because I, I look at their offense. And their offense is supposed to be something that's stellar, and I question it. And their defense has definitive questions. Their secondary will get them beat the first playoff game that they're in if they end up making it. And I don't care who they play, because it'll be Notre Dame or Clemson or Alabama. All those teams beat Ohio State in that first playoff game if they play them. So for me, I kind of want to leave them out. I think that I'd rather have a team that I think is better in there. Now, where are you, Mr. Ainsworth? So I think my biggest thing is they've got to get to six games and win the Big Ten. And I don't know if that ends up happening or not. So for those of you that are listening but don't know the story, they have played five games. They're as after beating Michigan State yesterday. They're currently five and zero. The big problem they're running into is next week's game against Michigan is in danger of getting canceled because Michigan is having a COVID outbreak. I think it's an important factor in this that it's a Michigan COVID outbreak, not an Ohio State one. It's going to end up punishing Ohio State because Michigan's having the problem. Well, let's but, keep in mind that Ohio State had their own issues, including the fact that they were missing three offensive linemen yesterday in their coach so everyone's dealing with covid some teams obviously it's hitting a little harder than others right and some teams it's hitting to the point where they're having to cancel games whereas ohio state has had a couple of their games canceled but they were trying to get to play like even if they've had covid hit their own team like you're saying they went out and played yesterday and won 52 to 12 without those offensive linemen right and so they had to get their game with illinois canceled because of covid issues illinois and they had to get their game canceled with maryland because of covid issues with maryland and so if they can't get to six games that they have michigan canceled next week which i think we can both assume with all you know the regular football assumptions because i guess there is the any given saturday percentage or whatever but ohio state probably wins that game and i honestly don't think michigan's going to play that game i don't think that michigan right. is going to be ready to play it so that gets into a whole different set so of if issues. they don't get to six games they're ineligible to play in the big 
Ten championship game. And if they can't play in the Big Ten championship game, it probably goes to Indiana. And that probably means Indiana wins the conference, right? Because Indiana is a team that, although they lost to Ohio State, has been very good this season, right? And it was a close game against Ohio State. Yeah, um, a close game against Penn State. They actually won the Wisconsin game, Indiana did, without because Michael Penix is out for the year. I don't know if folks know that, but he's out for the year. He had a, a, a knee injury. He's done. But uh, Indiana won yesterday against Wisconsin with their back quarterback. So, it was, I mean, Indiana's a good team. And what's what I'm getting at is Indiana's a good team, and it looks like that if, especially if Ohio State can't play, it looks like Indiana's could end up winning the conference. Indiana would not be in the top four. I do have a problem, though, when I've in maintaining consistency. I didn't like it with other conferences either. I don't like this idea of having two teams from the same conference in the top four if you're only going ha- only going to send four. And so... I think that that opens the door for if you have Alabama and then if Clemson, Notre Dame meet again in the championship game, the ACC championship game, then you need other representatives in there as well. The shame is, is if Ohio State can't get to six games and then can't play in the Big Ten championship game, who is, do they get a representative and who is that? We haven't mentioned Cincinnati yet, I don't believe. You talked about a couple other mid-major smaller schools. I talked about them a little bit. I mean, they're a good team. They're a good team, and they're 8-0, and they're sitting right there at 7. If they finish out at 10-0, why couldn't they jump up into it? But that's still just a third team without duplicating a conference. As much as I love the Big 12, no Big 12 team's going to make this thing. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, I would say it's fun and all, but that, that they're 7-2, and they're, they're not going to do this. There shouldn't be the <laughs> And so I run into, well, I do think if they're undefeated in the Big 10, and the cancellations were not them asking to cancel games... This does seem like we're, you know, punishing the Big Ten in a weird way for being the safe, precautious one, not starting the season the same time as everyone else. However, it's like you're saying, there also needs to be this element of the body of work. And so that's why I said a C with this A reasons and F reasons. If they got to six games and won the Big, Tw- Big Ten outright and like beat Michigan like they should and won the Big Ten championship game like they should, and they ended up at 7-0 in Big Ten champs, I would obviously feel much more comfortable putting them in. And I think that that would be almost a shoe in as far as getting another conference representative. It's another big school. It's another b- big program, et cetera. Like, I don't think that that would take any convincing. And I also think that that, as I'm saying, would still leave a spot open for the Cincinnati's of the world. Or if you think it's a Coastal Carolina now, or I know you're, you know, a depressed B- uh, BYU Mormon now, Shaka. But like whoever, whoever that other fourth school is, I think that still opens the door because I don't want to see two teams from the same conference, especially because this year there was no preseason game between conferences. So I think to see Alabama play OU and Jerry World, or I didn't get to see Clemson take on USC. I didn't get to see any big games across conferences to start the season, and so I don't know if I can necessarily connect these conferences. Now, let me just say, I love the Mr. Cummings wisdom of you coming to a C grade, A and F reasons, because <laughs> that's 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 wonderful. With, with Ohio State in particular, I do think, and I was reading about this on the Twitterverse yesterday, I do think that there's a chance that even if Michigan cancels, they still get a sixth game. There's no reason why the Big Ten couldn't follow the lead of the Pac-12, which the Pac-12, when teams have canceled, they've worked with teams within their league to try to create a game if you got two teams to cancel. Well, Maryland would be a potential, right? Because Maryland, I believe... They've got Maryland, some, they who, play Rutgers next week, and Rutgers is yeah. Rutgers and Maryland are supposed to be next week, and so it would require it. Anyway, there's Rutgers and Maryland. There's Illinois had their game with Ohio State canceled, and they're supposed to play Northwestern next week. And I was looking through, but the the truth is is that I I think that that would be a creative, clever move at Ohio State. I just don't know how they pull it off. Yeah, I was thinking of the Maryland game and the Illinois game, which were the games that were canceled. Like, those would be the games to possibly consider. 
And for the Big Ten, they would want Maryland over Illinois because I think that Maryland is the better team so that Ohio State gets the more impressive win so that when Ohio State gets that win and the title game win, then maybe there's a little less question. What I will say with Ohio State, and listen, I don't think they should be in the playoff right now. I don't, their body of work isn't good enough to me. I also do believe that, like, if you, if we did this thesis statement in two weeks, I could totally change my mind because their body of work could look different in two weeks. Like, if in two weeks they got, the Michigan win doesn't mean much to me because Michigan isn't that good this year, but if it was Maryland, Illinois, and then they, they got a win over Northwestern, like, okay, now your body work looks a little bit better. But here's the other thing as well is that in two weeks, some other things settle themselves. Like the ACC title settles itself. We know that this SEC title will settle itself. So we have some opportunities for some things to settle themselves that might make it more apparent that Ohio State should be in the top four. So I'm not the, I'm not knocking that. I'm just, like, if you ask me today, are they one of the four best teams? I don't know that they're one of the four best teams. I do think that Clemson and Notre Dame are. So, like, when you were talking before about not having two teams in one conference, I don't care if you have two teams in one conference. It's the two teams in one conference are part of the top four. They're going to play each other again like you're talking about in a couple weeks. And so, like, are you going to put them both in after they play each other a second time? On the yeah, season? I might. If, let me let me just Man. say this. If Trevor Lawrence plays Notre Dame and that game is close, I want to see it a third time. Let me so just they say, beat I, him with him and without him. Like they didn't beat they didn't beat Notre Dame without him. Notre Dame no, beat them. If Notre, Dame, if Notre Dame beats him with but him that's, and without him, that's I didn't pose that scenario. The scenario I pose is Trevor Lawrence is on Clemson and Clemson beats Notre Dame. Now you got one and one, and those two teams look like they're two of the four best teams. Like why are we leaving them out because they played each other in the regular season? Like it's, it'd be one thing if they played each other in the regular season one time, but they played each other in the regular season two times and split the meetings, and we got a great game the first time they played. So, yeah, I want to see that great game again the second time that they play. Because here's what I do believe. I do believe Clemson is one of the four best teams. And the fact that Notre Dame beat them is incredible. Now, we can talk about the circumstances and the back of quarterback, and I, I get that. Which is why that game is close. And it was still a double overtime game. Yeah, and if the game is close, quarterback if the game is close with Trevor Lawrence, then it tells you that the quarterback wasn't really the factor. It's just that you have two really good teams that are playing each other. And then I just want those teams to play again. Now, listen, if Trevor Lawrence goes out there and Clemson smokes Notre Dame, that's a different scenario. But that's not the one I'm posing. Just like I'm not, I wouldn't mind seeing if Alabama played the SEC title game. And I've said this multiple times. If Alabama plays the SEC title game, loses to Florida, like I want to see Florida and Alabama both in. I don't care that they're in the same conference. Like that doesn't bother me at all. That's at least a little bit different in the sense that Florida and Alabama won't have already played once. They don't. They will. They've only played once, and it's in the conference title game and not in the regular season and in the title game. So it's a little different than the Clemson Notre Dame's issue. I just when you only have four teams in. I, I'm really anti this two teams from a single conference get in because especially in a year where they don't get to play each other. Okay, Parker. So the thesis statement for this commercial is James Harden has the best beard in sports. What do you think about that thesis statement? Oh, I give it an A. You know, as a Houston guy, we we seem to have an affinity for our beers between guys like him, Dallas Keiko, lots of big beards in the Houston area. What do you think about the thesis? So I'm a Jets fan, and I absolutely love the beard that Ryan Fitzpatrick has. So maybe I would give Ryan Fitzpatrick the nod over James Harden. But you're talking to a couple of bearded teachers, and we know a thing or two about making sure that you maintain that mane. So check out the beard struggle. The beard struggle, they make oils, they make balms, they even have have this heated comb to make sure that you get your beard straight so that you're looking fresh. I know I've really enjoyed using the oil they make for my quarantine beard of sorts. It's nice and long these days, but it'll <laughs> keep it nice and healthy and hydrated. 
And if you're listening to our show, you can use FN Sports 15 and get 15% off your oils, your bombs, your shampoos, conditioners, whatever you need to use to keep your beard looking healthy. Absolutely. Check out The Beard Struggle at thebeardstruggle.com. Whether you're just starting to grow or you have a luscious mane already, The Beard Struggle's got all the products that you need. The Beard Struggle. Feast your face. Okay, Mr. Ainsworth. So now we're going to look at the huge trade in the NBA this week. The Washington Wizards traded John Wall in a first-round draft pick to the Houston Rockets for Russell Westbrook. So our thesis reads, the Houston Rockets won the trade with Russell Westbrook and John Wall. If I say that to you, Mr. Ainsworth, how do you grade that thesis statement? I give it a B-. minus. I think that's probably higher than you're going to say here and give it, but I'm going to give it a B-. minus. I wrote about the trade a little bit, so if you want to check out some of my stats on them, belly up. Uh, but as far as who won the trade, I'm going to sit here and give it a B-. minus. What do you think, Shaka? I'm so conflicted. I'm going to say C because I honestly think that you can go either way with this deal. Like, I really do feel that this is so subjective versus objective in terms of who won. And we'll get into those details in the segment. Okay, Mr. Ainsworth. So I don't think that we were that far off in terms of our grades on this trade. So I know that you anticipated that we might be a little further off. I went C, you went B minus. Talk to me. You obviously feel a little bit better about Houston. And I don't think that it's a homer take. Again, go check out Mr. Ainsworth's article on the trade because it's not truly just a homer take. Talk to me about the B minus. Why do you go a little bit higher than I do? Well, I think the homer take would have taken me to an A. So I I hope that people realize that there are plenty (laughs) of people that are talking themselves into this John Wall thing. I think the first thing you got to realize is that you got to be realistic about where Houston is. Houston sits here as a team that lost in the second round last year. They lost in the second round the year before the Warriors, and we can get into some caveats about that, but I think they were just going to lose the Warriors whenever they played the Warriors, and then they were going to lose the Lakers whenever they played the Lakers. So if they played in the first round, they got screwed in the first round. If they played in the conference finals, they just would have lost. The game. Like I, And I think that that would have happened both those years. But regardless, there's a team that's lost in the second round two years in a row and had stories that were openly saying Westbrook run it out per the athletic and the athletic reports also hinted at but couldn't cite a source saying James Harden won it out right and so James Harden's in- actions that I gave intentions for earlier may not indicate that he wants to play a lot of basketball right now either but that's not this trade we're looking at Westbrook and John Wall can I just interrupt for a second because I'm honestly believing that the source was James Harden like James Harden went to Mark Sines like dude I want out but don't tell nobody I said it well <laughs> the, athletic, the athletic stuff was uh, Shams and, and Ico but uh, okay yeah he went to Shams that's fine too <laughs> um, so so if I look at Westbrook and Wall, I also want to make sure that we assume that both players are healthy in respect to like the fact they've had injury history. And then we can talk about it after we look at injuries because, you know, as much as John Wall is the one everyone thinks about having been so hurt because he hadn't played in a while, you know, Russell Westbrook had a major knee injury in 2013. And he had a COVID diagnosis over the summer that he did not look the same from in the bubble. And they had a quad injury in the bubble that he did not look the same from after either. And so, like, this is a guy whose explosive athletic play style is breaking his body down. As much as I, you know, want to talk about how great a guy he was in my gold stars, his his athletic play style is how he it's all about attack 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 full speed full speed full speed and he's 32 and counting and his body's breaking down he took a big knee injury on a cheap shot from Patrick Beverly shout out you know Patrick Beverly's on the Rockets went back when that happened <laughs> um, he took a cheap shot then and it has his careers you know he did win the MVP after that for doing something none of us have ever seen before in the triple yeah he averaged a triple double three right? years in a row right after right. that after all that and right 
However, if you also look at like the way he's involved in the offense after that versus the way he's involved in the offense before the knee injury, like he was playing next to Kevin Durant before the knee injury. So of course, like you're going to distribute the ball a little bit differently. Anyway, I would argue he played better before the knee injury and he was more explosive and so on. He's certainly a better defender. And so that's all to say that assuming he's healthy and assuming John Wall is healthy, who has not played in a basketball game since the uh, 2018-19 season. And in that season, he only played 32 games. And the year before, he played 41 games. And so you're looking at a guy that since the end of the 2017 season has only played 73 games. That's not a lot of basketball for him either. However, at the end of the 2017 season, this team was a few possessions away, if you know, playing in game seven, <laughs> the second round, a few possessions away in that second, in the second round series from getting to the Eastern Conference Finals, right? And so, like... That was a good team that he was a star of. I think it's worth pointing out that he is younger. He's uh, just recently turned 30, which is two years younger. The swap was fairly clean because their contracts are fairly similar in that they're both they're basically making, like in, identical, right? It's like crazy. making a lot of money. And so I will say, people say, oh, you give Houston credit all the time. But to Houston's credit, they turned a contract where they were paying a 35-year-old Chris Paul $40 million to paying a 32-year-old Russell Westbrook $40 million. Now they're paying a 30-year-old John Wall $40 million, right? <laughs> and so that at least trends in the right direction. Now, Chris Paul had a much better 2020 than he did 2019, and so it looks like that you know might have all digressed in the wrong direction, but that's, again, not this trade. In this trade, Houston <laughs> gets a younger guy that schematically fits in very much the same way. So when you hired Silas, if Steven Silas wanted to come in and have an offense that would be run for athletic Russell Westbrook and James Harden, athletic John Wall would play play a lot of the same spots. He can, actually, hold on, can I push back on that? You you're telling me that Russell Westbrook, who basically was a six foot four center, you're gonna bring in John Wall and use him the same way? Are you saying that now Silas is gonna change up the deal and the way that he was going to use Westbrook well, is the way he's going to use Wall? I'm saying the other signings they made and getting Christian Wood and Boogie Cousins. So I those signings indicate to me that the small ball thing is now going to be a piece of what they knew. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. Now, I'm- and so if you were a coach coming in and you have an athletic six, four guy in Russell Westbrook, who is not a great shooter, but is all energy, all athleticism. You also have John Wallace, also six foot four. He's also not the best shooter. Although his catch and shoot stats are a little, he's, a, he's a better shooter than Russell Westbrook. Right. That's not saying he is, much. Right. It's not saying much. Exactly. And so he is, a, you know, you can use him in the same, in similar fashions, I would assume, right. Uh, I would, Based on the way they're moving, I think that the small ball thing is just going to be a piece of, like, they may go for stretches with P.J. Tucker at center or whatever, right? So all that is to say that those are positive things that, on the surface, make you think, oh, Houston got younger. They got this guy that is a similar playing style, and he's a couple years younger, and he's, you know, we saw the clips from him playing pickup in Miami and how he's out there ready to hoop and so on, and that's all great. The deal is, is that we said if health, or I said if healthy, and then you got to factor in, like, the injuries they're coming off of, while they're starting to stack up for us, the worst injuries are for sure with John Wall. No, absolutely. Right? Not even a question. And the, the Achilles injury, although it's not, you know, it's not 2000, it's 2020, so science is a little bit better on it. The Achilles injury is certainly going to change his playing style. He looked like he can move around fi- fine, relatively speaking, to, you know, he's just not going to be the, maybe the same kind of all-star caliber or maybe the same kind of, you know, he, he made a run in MVP. It was at 25 years old back in 2015, 16. Anyway, he's not going to be the same type of guy 
Um, it wasn't fifteen sixteen because that was Steph Curry four hundred three years, but it wasn't one of those years, right? Um, anyway, he's not even the same kind of guy, but he apparently seems to be recovering well. Um, Houston really trusts their doctor, so they said the same thing about Boogie Cousins, and they're going all in <laughs> on this thing. And so we'll see. Um, but I think that there's a real shot that this works, and then the reason that I gave it a B minus instead of a C, and I think a C I would read as both teams just kind of stay lateral and stay even. Is not that, not really. I'll, I'll talk okay. a little bit about why I gave what, a C. If I had given a C, I think in my head that would have been, I think both teams are lateral moving even. And so I look at it as a B minus because we had confirmation that Russ wanted out. And so at some point you got to realize that there's only so many guys on that contract you could have swapped for. It'd have been like John Wall or, you know, Blake Griffin or Chris Paul who's shipped out for him. Like there's only so many guys that you can get that contract and get back as some sort of a player for. And you kind of had to move Russ because. He said he wanted out. Now, with both Russ and Harden, Houston has said that, like, so with both of these guys, right, Russ Westbrook and James Harden, you got to realize that, like, if they want out, Houston's being very firm and saying that, look, the ball is in our court. You have two years left that you're required to be here and play. We're not taking pennies back on the dollar. We're not going to take a handful of guys that are kind of sort of role players and picks. We want an all-star for an all-star, right? And so they kind of got a very similar player in John Wall to Russell Westbrook, right? A couple years younger again. And I think that's really as good as they could have realistically done. They weren't going to go... You couldn't swap Russell Westbrook for, like, a healthy Clay Thompson, right? You couldn't swap out Russell Westbrook for or, you know, I don't, who will your next going to offer, right? Like, well, there's, let me, let me say this. Everything that you're saying, doesn't it apply the other way? Now, the one major difference, and maybe we're going to get to this, is that first round draft pick, right? But everything that you just said is basically true for the Wizards as well. Just start switching some names. Like John Wall said he wanted out. And right. Bradley Beal has also been on the trade market for the last couple of years. So it's abundantly possible that he could be gone. But in order to ship him out, you got to make sure that you get something back that's worth a Bradley Beal, right? I mean, it's Beal is right. Harden and everything that you just said, and then Wall is Russ and everything that you just said. Obviously, the injuries are a huge deal, and the, the type of injuries that they've had and the recency of which they've had them, because the difference with Westbrook is that you could argue that his things are kind of, um, you know, minor injuries in the grand scheme of things in terms of the last couple of years because his major injury is 2013, where Wall, his, his major injury is 2017, and so he's more recent to his major injury, and that he was missing half a season here, two-thirds of a season there. So it's like he, it feels a little different, I guess, with John Wall, but if you get the first-round draft pick with him, then it feels like, well, okay, the first-round draft pick could be the insurance policy in case Wall comes in and he's not everything that we think that he's going to be, right? Um, incidentally, like if you were to ask me who won this trade, like if, I, if you were just asking in general what team won this trade, the University of Kentucky won this trade, friends, because now <laughs> you got John Wall playing with Boogie Cousins and because the Knicks didn't get Russell Westbrook, they were able to sign uh, Michael Kidd Gilchrist to now <laughs> add to Emmanuel Quickly, Julius Randle, they, they, Kevin Knox, the Knicks have a collection of big Blue Nation players as well. So Kentucky won this trade. John Calipari won this trade. Um, I, I honestly think that Silas has to change the system, change the style from what Dan Tony was running, right? And I think that that's easy enough to say that he's going to do that. He has to make it a system in which John Wall has the ball for John Wall to be the most effective. Like, John Wall is not going to be effective off the ball. And so when I look at him going into Houston, I'm like, well, how can anyone 
to play with James Harden effectively off the ball that isn't as athletic and ex- explosive as Russell Westbrook and then kind of embraces the role that was- Russell Westbrook had. I, John Wall's never done that. And while we can talk about John Wall in terms of being explosive, he's explosive in the way that Chris Paul is explosive. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, he's a below-the-rim right. kind of explosive guy. He's not. He's not. He's never been the best athlete on any floor that he stepped on. I imagine that he's had plenty of times where he has been. Um, If he stepped... Russell Westbrook steps on any gym floor. I don't care who's on the floor. And Russell Westbrook's like, I'm the best athlete out here. And that's with LeBron James on the floor. And that's with right. fill in the blank. Because no, that's the level of athlete that he is. So it just feels different with Wall. Um, I, I, It's going to be curious, too, because Russell Westbrook needs the ball. And now Bradley Beal is like, that's cool because he averaged a triple-double once upon a time. But I got... Kevin Durant also left that dude. Like, you know what I mean? Well, and, and so did Paul George and so did Carmelo. And, yeah. I, mean, and I, I will say it's interesting the way that you compare Chris Paul and John Wall. I see them both as athletic in the way that they shift gears in a car, right? It's not that their top speed of a car is that of a Lotus. It's that they can go from first to fourth and fourth to first back and forth laterally really explosive and like that that's a really shifty incidentally a lotus can do that but i understand (laughs) i understand your metaphor (laughs) you kind of passed glossed over the pick and so what i will say is that they also get to tag in this 2023 pick and in trading for chris paul and then in trading for russell westbrook houston's future draft assets are dry and so that is an important part of this i think to look at like okay if the whole thing sinks like the titanic and john wall can't stay healthy and then they do have to move harden and boogie cousins can't stay healthy and this thing really does tank they're at least pulling back in some of these assets to put around you know get a a higher end pick in 2023 because what does washington look like in that season if russ is old and they have traded beal and so on like that could be a team with that ends up giving us a good pick wouldn't that have been the reason to do the deal with the knicks by the way like the, the the deal, because here's the thing, right? We don't know what the Knicks offered or if the Knicks offered yeah. anything. But the reality is that whatever the Knicks was going to, whatever they were going to offer would have included draft capital, right? And it very likely would have included one of their young top level players. Like it would have been a Mitchell Robinson. It would have been an RJ Barrett. Someone like that has to go, right? It would actually make a lot of sense for the Knicks to say it's going to be RJ Barrett because Russ essentially comes in and can play that same position. So if the trade is RJ Barrett, uh, Dennis Smith Jr., because you need the contracts, right? So just get the collection of contracts that the Knicks have some expiring contracts. Randall, Julius Randall probably has to go because of his numbers. And you give them draft capital. It almost feels like Houston, if draft capital was the thing that they were really looking for, should have really pushed the Knicks. If this is so, why Tillman Fertitta, incidentally, when you want to dog him, this is why I'm totally with you on it. Because it feels like he's trying to do the thing that James Dolan's always tried to do, which is we're going to try to stay competitive while we rebuild. You can't do both. And he's st- certainly trying to do both because he is saying he does not want to tank and blow up this team. Whereas if most owners had gotten, not most owners, but there are plenty of owners that would have gotten that athletic report or whatever intel that was saying that the two stars wanted out and just said fine give us all of the give us the david griffin or sam presti level amount of picks pull all that in <laughs> and, just like, and just start this thing over because the truth is are you going to be able to build a team that beats LeBron and Anthony Davis Lakers in the near future. Eh, you know, let's check that out. <laughs> and then some people really, you know, hate on the Nets experiment. I think that's the last two times Kevin Durant's been healthy to finish the season. He won the Finals MVP. So I'm I'm not counting them out by any stretch in the East either, right? And so I look at Houston as the same kind of thing you're saying, where Fertitta is open about we are not a tanking franchise. And to be fair, as good as Daryl Morey was, they never really tanked in the 15 years Daryl Morey was there either. They, they no, he signed Harden. You never had to tank once you signed Harden. Right. Well, and it's not like they had to 
tank before they got him either. They just moved people around. So they, they rebuilt this thing a couple times in that. So I understand what he's going there. But to not tank now means that you're going to go star for star. And the Westbrook thing is kind of this over-the-hill star. So you got to pull back in an over-the-hill star. And so I guess that's where I come in at. Is that would have been my C is if I thought it were even, even, even. It's a C. I think there's slightly raised ceilings in that wall's a little bit younger if the health thing stays clear. And Russell had demanded out, and so you only have so much you could have done there, and the pick. And so that's why I shifted to like a B minus favoring Houston versus, you know, an F favoring Washington or an A because I'm a Houston homer or whatever. I mean, but I will say all of this is moot if they've got to move James Harden. If they end up moving James Harden for not an all-star MVP caliber type player, which MVP caliber won't come back. So if they won't, move, if they can't move James Harden for all-star caliber player or players in the next few months or in the next season or by in the next summer, it could all be moot because this is all, the whole Houston Rockets organization for the last eight years centered on that guy. And if you send that guy out, you are blowing it up. Well, you could get Ben Simmons back. That's an MVP caliber player. Like, I mean, there's 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 opportunity. It just depends on what the trade ends up being. But I don't want to go too much on the Harden trade. I, the, the C, that hadn't happened yet. That hasn't happened, right? The C to me doesn't mean that the that the trade evens out. The C to me just basically recognizes that in terms of both teams' situation, I don't know that either team really improved their situation, with the exception of getting a guy out of there who really didn't want to be there. Like Washington isn't getting Russell Westbrook and all of a sudden they're a contender in the East. I don't I don't believe that. Do I, you I think do you think that it takes them from the nine seed to the eight seed even? I mean like, maybe probably the eight seed? Maybe I mean, maybe, and listen, the the reality is it's the East. Maybe it even takes them to the four seed, but what does that matter? Can you beat Miami? Can you beat Boston? Can you beat even Brooklyn now? We got to see what they're going to be. Can you beat right. Milwaukee? Like, I don't I don't know that you can beat these. Listen, even Atlanta's a lot better too, man. Anyway, and Houston's no, situation, this is not the move that's getting hard in his ring. So, like, Houston's situation, and listen, that's the measure for Harden now, guys. As he's a, as a, else. he's done he's everything, done everything else. else. As an MVP, he's been to the West. Western Conference Finals, he's tasted it, man. He had the champagne on his lips, and then Chris Paul can't play Game 7, right? So the the reality is, is that for me, the reason why this is a C is because what it feels like is, okay, we had to do a trade. Washington kind of had to do a trade. We just helped each other out, but I don't know that either situation necessarily got better. I do think that Kentucky, <laughs> University of Kentucky won this trade. You know who else maybe wins this trade? America. Because now Russell Westbrook is in Washington, D.C., and if this man continues to be as active as he has been in social issues off the court, and now he has access to Washington, D.C. with an incoming president and vice president who probably align more politically with some of the issues and views that he has. Man, Russell Westbrook could be the guy who wins Sportsman of the Year next year if he's able to kind well, of tie into some of those things. And America is better for it, friend. Shout out to Brianna Stewart for winning that award this year. <laughs> uh, but I will say the interesting thing is you talk about that side of this whole thing. There were reports that that is why that Westbrook and Harden both wanted out of Houston with Tillman Fertitta and his ties, right? And so that is not to be dismissed, I don't think. I, you know, I think that that is an interesting element of is that why these guys went out of the team all of a sudden because they could sit here and argue that oh if Russ's squad had just been healthy we were up huge in the Lakers in game one and that you could talk yourself into that I don't know if it's real but you could talk yourself into it right and so it is an interesting dynamic to this I also think and you're a Kentucky guy so hear me out this is entirely the way it plays out in like 2k when you turn injuries off this is not necessarily (laughs) but if you get the boogie cousins of three years ago and you get the John Wall of three years ago and you get the James Harden of any time 
in the last six years. <laughs> that is a that is a really good team. No, that, I don't think that, that, that any beats, of that works. That team that, beats of, West Virginia. That's what the University of Kentucky is thinking. Like because we couldn't beat West Virginia with Boogie and John Wall, but we had a harder we to beat West Virginia. That's all the UK's thing. All right, Mr. Cummings, the last thesis this week reads, even if the Pittsburgh Steelers go 16-0, they should not be the favorites to win the AFC. How do you grade that one? A, but here's the thing, right? We're going to have this conversation, and I'm going to say all these stats that <laughs> they contradict the A. They should not be the favorite. I, okay. They should not be the favorite. What's your grade, Mr. Ainsworth? I agree. They are also. I also think they should not be the favorite. It's an interesting thought, and it's wild that we have a team that's gone this far in the season undefeated, but... I'm going to also say an A. They should not be the favorite. Some Pittsburgh people are going to find us, and they're going to beat us up, and they're going to throw our bodies in one of those three rivers. All right, Mr. Cummings, so we're both an A, and because now I'm scared about getting thrown in a river, I'm going to let you go first. <laughs> Why did you give it an A? <laughs> I grew up in New York. That's a reality. You get thrown in a river. That happens. Um, So... Pittsburgh, 16 and 0. The deal is Kansas City. As long as, if you got 10, you got a chance. As long as Patrick Mahomes is still the dude, and he's still the dude, right? I don't think anyone's going to be a favorite in the AFC outside of Kansas City. Like, what, it's like when you look at Green Bay. It's not that Green Bay is never not the favorite. You might forget about them because these other teams emerge, but you know that Green Bay is there because they got that dude. You know that Seattle is always going to be there because they got that dude, right? You know that New Orleans is going to be there because they got that dude. Well, the best dude now is in Kansas City, and he's got a ring, and he's got an MVP, and I'm sorry, Pittsburgh can go 16-0 and and play those guys, right? Like, that's going to be a part of it, right? Like, you... Oh man, I don't, it's hard for me to look at Kansas City objectively and think they're going to get beat by Pittsburgh. And it's even harder after Zadarius Smith blows out his ACL, right? Because right. now you look at Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh, it's crazy. Every, I, I'm on pro football focus, every pass rush category they lead the NFL in. They're the best yeah. pass rush team. And, they, well, and here's the thing, they don't have the highest blitz percentage. So normally you think of Pittsburgh and you're like, oh, well, they just blitz you. So, of course, no, they, they, they have one of the highest ones in terms of blitz percentage, like a percentage of plays in which they send a fifth rusher is how pro football focus measures this. So it's they got to send four every place. So I guess if you're in a three, four, every place kind of a blitz. But no, they're just effective at what they do, which without the Dallas also- Smith is going to be less effective. But I would also say if you're good at that, that would be a way to knock off Pat Mahomes. I also want to point out, we look at, you know, this, this whole thing, cause they, their game from this weekend is now moved to two. No, they're playing Monday at four. I'm sorry. It's the other, the Ravens game got moved to two. Yeah, the so Ravens playing, game Tuesday. They're playing Monday at four. And so that did get bumped around a little bit. And so they're, I want to say lucking into playing Washington cause if we were a more talented team, that would have been a really quick, hard turnaround. Alex the Smith is going to surprise you. No, they might give up some points, but I, I, just, <laughs> I think that they're going to win that game. The difficult game for them is they play Buffalo on the 13th. Right, Buff- at Buffalo on the 13th. It's a Sunday night game. And then Cincinnati, no, Dilboro, Indianapolis with yeah, your favorite Phillip Rivers. At <laughs> Cleveland to end the season. How many touchdowns did Baker Mayfield throw for today? How many touchdowns did Baker so Mayfield throw for today? Here's the other thing, too, is if you're Pittsburgh and it's week 17 and you've wrapped up number one overall seed, you might no, not no, even no, play. No, 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 no. Let me just tell you that so Mike, Tomlin, get- Mike Tomlin's going for the undefeated. They're not sitting guys. Well, what I'm getting at is is that that might not be the kind of game that the 
average team plays all of their dudes. And week 17 is a week where weird things happen. It happens in everyone's fantasy football championship game. And what I'm getting at, though, <laughs> is that this entire thesis is assuming they win those games, right? So, yep. like, that's a sunk cost in this thesis. If they don't win, these grades are moot. It does not matter. So, if they win those games, I think you're also looking at Kansas City as they sit here. And they're going to very realistically be, I mean, at the worst end of this, you're looking at 14-2, and two, right? I don't think that they drop to both the Saints and Dolphins. And no, so, but they, they could rest guys conceivably right at the end, but I, I'm with you. Well, and they play the Chargers at the end, though, and the Chargers are awful. So they may win <laughs> while resting, guys, I guess what I'm saying. And so I look at this as, and I read this thesis, and my first thought was initially like, dang, I really hate the Las Vegas Raiders. Because the Raiders are just not showing up that one time. <laughs> and they like had it just like every other team that needs to play, for whatever reason, they match up really well with the Kansas City Chiefs. Because they played, they beat them once and played them really closely a second time. They're a good weeks team later. against the Chiefs. The Jets against almost beat the them Chiefs. this week. <laughs> yeah, against the Chiefs. Right. They had to come back at the end of the game to beat the Jets, but they almost beat the Chiefs twice. If the Raiders had not done that, we'd be talking about getting two undefeated teams teams in the AFC championship game and how nuts would that be how you know what how crazy would it be because you'd have to decide only one of them would get a buy like how I don't even right. know how the NFL would figure that out that'd be I don't crazy. know how the NFL would figure that out this year and I think that because it was so close to being realistic this year they may have to figure that out for next year because the truth is is that Kansas City is the favorite anytime it's like you said anytime Patrick Mahomes suits up anytime Tyreek Hill's out there getting 200 yards in a quarter anytime they had Travis Kelsey anytime they're Andy Reid and Eric Bainami on the sideline like that team is always going to be the favorite. They just have won so many more football games than they've lost since that's been their core that they're going to be the favorite whenever they step on the field. And so, yes, it can be against an undefeated Pittsburgh Steelers, but it doesn't matter. It's the Kansas City Chiefs because they themselves were almost, they were eight points away from being undefeated on a weird night as well. That's the, the way this rolls is Kansas City is a better team. Any given Sunday, Pittsburgh could win. I don't, and we talked about that. You mentioned their pass rush. That would be how you'd beat Kansas City, but well, I mean, and their defense is incredible. They have the best passing defense in the league. They the way they struggle is running the football in particular because their passing offense is middle of the pack. Uh, but they they really struggle. Pittsburgh does kind of establishing effective run, which is a weird deal. So here's the deal that I want to throw at you, Mr. Ainsworth. We would agree that the team that's most equipped to be a favorite would be the team that scores the most, right? Like. The best scoring offense we would think would be the favorite. And if I were to say to you, knowing that, who's the best scoring team in the NFL, like, I think that we would both say Kansas City, no problem. And now you start looking at the stats, you realize that Pittsburgh is the best scoring offense? Like, yeah, I mean, a lot of points. It's it's crazy to me that. A lot of points, and they just, like, two years ago, their two bell cows in Le'Veon Bell and Antonio Brown are both not there anymore. Now, I I should say they're one of the best scoring offenses because we, the Chiefs are actually leading the league. But if the other way to beat Kansas City is win the shootout, right? And, like, if you're not going to, to get enough pressure on Mahomes to really affect him in the game, then outscore him, right? And be the dude with the ball last. And if you're going to start picking the list of quarterbacks that you'd want to have the ball last, like guys who have done it, who have showed that they could do it, a guy like Ben Roethlisberger might be that guy. And what I will say is that Kansas City's defense is a little more middle of the pack. While Pittsburgh's passing offense can be hit or miss, they've got enough dudes. I mean, between Claypool and Juju Smith-Schuster, Washington, they've got guys who can they can spread the ball. Even Eric Ebron, who's he he's one of these guys. He just shows up 
when you don't expect him to. And then all of a sudden, Ebron's got five catches for 80 yards and a touchdown. It's like, where did he come right. from, right? And the, the real question is, how does Pittsburgh end up trying to play that game? And I think that Pittsburgh reverts to who they are in terms of their DNA, which is they're going to try to win that game with solid offense, controlling the clock, and then their defense is going to do a job. And it's just, it's hard to say defense go do a job, but when you got Cheetah and Kelsey and uh, Edwards Hilaire, oh, by the way, Le'Veon Bell is their backup running back. Le'Veon Bell is going to get some reps in the game against Pittsburgh. Also, you know he's going to want them reps. I was about to say, he's going to, like, you told my guy, he's going to put in a lot of prep that <laughs> I mean, it, Kansas City, as a team, I don't look at anyone in the NFL and say, oh, yeah, Kansas City's got to worry about them. To me, Kansas City's the favorite every Sunday they step on the field. And I don't care if they're 14-2 and and they're playing a 16-0 Pittsburgh Steelers in Pittsburgh in the AFC Championship game. I think Vegas would still favor Kansas I think Vegas would favor Kansas City in any game they played in, against anyone, anywhere. I think that they would be the Vegas favorite. And I think that they should be. I, I, I don't I don't mean that to dismiss going 16-0 or at that point it would be, what, 18-0 if you're Pittsburgh? Like, at the end of the day, I think that Kansas City should be. They're a very good football team that was a weird Sunday night game against Vegas away from being undefeated themselves. Pittsburgh, because I don't want to come off as like being dismissive of their season. I think that Pittsburgh is having an incredible year. I think that Mike Tomlin doesn't get enough credit as a coach. I actually I don't think that Ben Roethlisberger is a good human being, but I do think that he's a good quarterback. And so, when you start looking at that Pittsburgh team, like I don't want to dismiss them as if it doesn't matter because Kansas City is just going to roll the ball out and they're going to win every game. Like You're going to have to go beat them guys. And it's not going to be easy to do. What Kansas City has shown is that even in situations where it's not easy to do, they can still come out and be successful. They are, I mean, there are a lot of people who believe that they are an offsides penalty away from being back-to-back champions in this league. There's a lot of and, people who believe that, man. And I'm one of them. And I will say, <laughs> I also think that Patrick Mahomes is a weird injury on his ankle away when someone fell on him in the pocket from being back-to-back MVPs as well. Like, I think they're that talented. I, I think that Lamar kind of synced up that MVP. But I, I get what you're saying. He misses a few games and now all of a sudden, right? I mean, it might be a little different. Pittsburgh deserves respect. Pittsburgh is not going to lay down for Kansas City in an AFC Championship game if that's when they meet. But let me say this as well. The two teams... Between Kansas City and Pittsburgh, which one's more likely to get upset before that AFC title game? I would say Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh is a team that can run into a team like Tennessee and never see the ball. And their offense is just ineffective that day. And lose to Tennessee 14-10 to 10 or something like that. Like, And then Tennessee's back in the AFC title game playing against Kansas City again. And you're like, where did Tennessee come? Tennessee plays a style that because Pittsburgh's offense ends up being hit or miss in terms of they're not a great passing team in the middle of the pack. They're a they're below average run team. They just score. Like they're effective in the red zone. They punch things in. They're one of the better red zone teams in the league, right? They're a team that could run into Tennessee and lose because their offense just is ineffective that day because Tennessee's defense is so good and they don't see the ball. Same thing with Buffalo. Buffalo's defense hasn't been as good as it's been in previous years, but it's still pretty good. And they could just not see the ball because Josh Allen gets that thing going and, you know, all of a sudden Pittsburgh gets upset. You don't feel that way with Kansas City because Kansas City showed us you can have them down 24 nothing, and they'll still beat you by how many touchdowns they win that game by. They still win that game by three touchdowns, would, right? Yeah, they end up winning by 20 after being down by 20. Here's the thing I will say that works in Pittsburgh's favor is if I look at the games that Kansas City has played this year and this year only, they have gotten out to big leads and let off the gas. Part of that could be regular season. Part of that could be it's going to be the third deep postseason run in a, in a row or what, and they're like, they're looking at big picture or whatever. But they get out big on the LA Chargers and they go to overtime. 
They get out big on the Baltimore Ravens and end up winning 34-20. They get out big on the Tampa Bay Bucks and they end up winning 27-24. That is a theme. And here's the deal. We're both talking about how much we like Tomlin. Tomlin's teams are not going to quit if you get up big on them. They're going to chip away and come back at that thing. And at some point, that theme, that like, you know, being up by enough might run out because like you're saying, the Steelers do score points. Um, I, I would just, I would still pick the Chiefs and, and they should still be the favorite. I, but that is a theme that could go in the Steelers way. No, absolutely. I will say that Kansas City hasn't been that team in any playoff run that I've seen, even when New England got them, right? If it's not for that offside penalty, Kansas City doesn't let up. That's just a game back and forth. And then Kansas City should have the ball last. Right. If anything, Kansas City played worse in the first half. I, I really just more mean on this year's team as I look at this year's team. Friends, that is another edition of FN Sports. The great thing about a podcast is that this thing's going to be edited and it'll be around an hour. And you guys go, oh, that's awesome. What you don't know is that Mr. Ainsworth and I literally did a whole hour's worth of discussion off pod. So we, we've done two podcasts this Sunday. We, we have put in the work. The money that we earn from this podcast, we deserve. We gotta start earning some money from this podcast. Mr. Ainsworth, um, <laughs> you go ahead and give folks your socials and I'll think of some ideas of how we can, uh, fix this deal. We gotta, we gotta fix our hustle when a little you bit. You say socials after making money, you think, I feel like I should give out my information for people to deposit money into. Uh, <laughs> Venmo, so, Venmo. Yeah, you can find me on Twitter and DM me for my Venmo. On my, on Twitter, <laughs> you can find me at Painsworth512, that's P-A-I-N-S-W-R-T-H. 512 all one word on Twitter and Instagram and then we also have a show Twitter that's FN Sports 2 F-I-N-S-B-O-R-D-S the number 2 all one word I'll use dash P-A Shaka will use dash C-C and Shaka we got an Instagram absolutely you can catch us on Instagram at F underscore N underscore sports you can find me on social media on Twitter and on Instagram at Shaka Cummings at C-H-A-K-A-C-U-M-M-I-N-G-S. My cash app is, no, I'm just playing. Uh, <laughs> thank you guys for listening. Please remember, go out, like, subscribe, share, do all the wonderful things to help out the podcast. And please remember, when it comes to sports, don't bunk with us. Later, guys. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary, void, or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment your work stress disappears as you kayak through the canyons. Or the moment you discover the life-changing effects of prickly pear chocolate. But nothing beats the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the very first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com.